Hi, my name is Roger Lemaitre. I'm the president and CEO of UEX Corporation. Uh, today with me also is our vice president of exploration, Chris Hamill. Wave Chris and say her there. UEX is a uranium explorer and developer focused primarily in the Athabasca Basin. And I think what we bring to the table is a little bit different for our investors than, say, the usual uranium company that you do see out there. We're a portfolio of opportunities. While we have several development-ready projects and development projects in development uh, that we partner up with with other companies, we also span a portfolio of projects right from grassroots through up to those development-ready projects. And what we do is give our investors the opportunity to be leveraged to the price of uranium because we have a large uranium resource holding. We also allow you to get exposure to mine development projects, but because we're not the operator of the more shorter term projects, we're able to focus on growth through exploration discovery on what we believe is one of the top portfolios in the top area for junior explorers in the uranium sector to be, to be working. Roger, thank you. That's a great introduction. Um, Chris, nice to be on here with you. Good morning, Merlin. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, I've got a little bit of track record in the uranium space, and I worked in West Africa with uh, Stephen Roman and George Flack on Global Atomic. And um, I never really knew much about the Athabasca Basin. And when I came to your um, presentation in the research for this meeting, I, I went through your videos. I spent a, um, a good bit of time on YouTube last night. Um, going through some of your presentations, and I've, you know, it's an extraordinary portfolio, and I'm so interested in what you're doing. Um, <clears throat> before we get into the nitty gritty, perhaps of my questions, could you um, tell me what the thrust of your exploration efforts are going to be over the next, you know, in 2022? You know, where are you going to be putting your, where are you going to be focusing your geological brains and your and your drill rigs in the course of um, next year? Uh, I think very easily for us to focus in on two projects, our Christie Lake project and our Hidden Bay project. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to do very much our best efforts to get our partner around it to help us work a little more at Shea Creek where things have been idle for a couple of years, but we don't control that necessarily. So we'll focus on, 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 his, on Hidden Bay, which we think is one of the best basement hosted deposit trains in the basin and Christie Lake, which is uh, the, a relatively unexplored tr trend of the, the host of MacArthur River deposit and that continues onto our property and it's still relatively under underexplored. And will the budgets for both of them be roughly equal or are you going to uh, split it some other way between the two, um, Hidden Bay and Christie Lake? Uh, definitely more money into the Christie Lake angle of things. Uh, one of them, but not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that we test less targets. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Hidden Bay is very, very shallow. Our, our deep holes there are 200 meters deep. Uh, and that goes way into the basement terrain. So we actually get a lot more mileage in terms of test targets tested at Hidden Bay for a lot less money. Okay, great. Um, and how deep are the holes that you're going to have to be drilling at Christie Lake? I mean, what's just, just I mean, if you let's say your average hole depth is down to 200 meters in um, Hidden Bay, what, what are you looking at in Christie Lake? And I, obviously there's water around as well. So maybe barge drilling or winter drilling. So, uh, Chris, Christie Lakes uh, has about between 400 and 420 meters of sandstone. Uh, not too much glacial overburden, somewhere between 30 to 50 meters if you end up on top of a drumlin. Um, our the uh, the beauty of our, um, our th that property is is that there's very little um, obstacles in the way of uh, of lakes or ice drilling. So um, you know while we while we might have a few holes on the on the ice in uh, in 2022, uh, the large large component of the the program is going to be from land. Okay, great, thank you. Now um, 
Roger, perhaps, could you give me a kind of a, uh, a bird's eye view of what's happening in the Athabasca Basin in terms of, you know, there's a lot of activity on the east, there's a lot of activity on the, on the west, and uh, how many mines are actually operating, still operating in, um, in the Athabasca Basin? Is it just MacArthur River? Uh, right now, the only actual mine that's physically operating is the Cigar Lake Mine just the Cameco operation with Arano. The MacArthur River mine is on care and maintenance because of the, the you know, until recently, the price of uranium was so low and con- the long-term contracts were challenging. Also, the Rabbit Lake mine, uh, also Cameco, 100% owned project, is, is idle. It's been idle for about four years now. Uh, so it's in care and maintenance as well. So those are the, the three op- operable mines in the basin right now. Uh, and they have the, the significant other opportunities that, are, that the juniors are trying to develop. And they're all on the eastern margin, that's right. Uh, the, the current mines are all on the eastern side. There has been one operation historically on the west side that was, uh, well, now is the predecessor of Verano, but it's called Kojima back in the, uh, in the early 2000s. In the late 1990s was the Clough Lake operation uh, that they ran there uh, for about 20, 25 years, if I recall correctly. Uh, and that's the only operation that's been on the west side. Everything else has been on the east side. And is, is it going to be... What, what, what sustainable uranium price do you expect um, is required before you see the MacArthur Rivers and Rabbit Lakes coming back on? I think realistically, you're looking at a $50 to $60 price, but in a long-term sustainable uh, um, contracting price to be to be incentivized to bring things into product, back into production. Uh, for Rabbit Lake, it'll probably be a little bit higher just because of the volume that goes through there uh, versus the volume that goes through MacArthur River. But and you look at most of the operating opportunities out there, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of the incentivized price you need to get there. And so, so do, you, do you mentally explore with the kind of a $60 per pound kind of threshold as your or 50? I mean, what, what do you, when you start a kind of an exploration discussion, what do you use as kind of your internal guide, your internal reference? For the company, strategically wise, uh, we're, we're very conscious about being positioned in the lowest cost half of the cost curve. And I think in the uranium space, if you're not in the lowest cost half, uh, it can be painful. And the MacArthur River is a very good example of that. I mean, it's the lowest cost quartile and, and it struggled in the in, you know, two, three years ago with the uranium price when you don't have long-term contracts to, to support it. And so if you want to not be more than just a swing producer, uh, you want to be in an area that historically has been low cost half. And I think it's pretty fair to say that almost every operation that's come to fruition in the Athabasca Basin uh, since its inception back in the late 1960s has been in that low cost half. There are obviously projects around the rest of the world on a one-off basis that would say, yeah, this will fit low cost half as well. But historically, the, usually a discovery that's economic in the Athabasca Basin will fit that low cost half. So that's part of our search strategy about why we're focused in the Athabasca Basin. Uh, and then two, yes, uh, without a doubt, looking at opportunities that are in the low cost half are, are very, very important to us uh, because it, it's just too hard. It's, it's, a, it's a very expensive proposition to build a mine, never mind uh, an uranium mine. Uh, it's a long-term process as well. It, just, it takes a, probably a couple more years than a typical mine would take because of the, the regulatory angle of uranium. So you have to know that to, you're, you're going to be able to be profitable when you come up the back end of that. When you say the low cost half, do you mean... Profitable below 50 or profitable below 60? Uh, I would say profitable below 50, to be fair. Uh, you need to leave something on the table as well. You know, most, most people uh, who invest in mines would sure love to get their capital recovery as well. So, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to find 
<laughs> it's hard to find a uranium deposit that's profitable below 50. I mean, that's why there are so few development projects yeah, very um, much. That, that work at basically current prices. You're absolutely right. Uh, and, and then the risk, you know, the, the <laughs> you have to be able to you be able to handle the risk of the of the flow of the market, and uh, if you don't have that low cost half, you're you're struggling. And we've seen producers that emerged in the last cycle struggle, um, and they couldn't couldn't leverage off that price. One of the features of the Athabasca are these extremely high grades. Um, you know, anywhere else in the world, you talk about PPM. Your your ore content is in um, PPMs, you know, in, 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 in Namibia, it's 200, maybe 400 PPM, which is 0.04%. Um, similarly, in, in many parts of Australia, um, in Niger, it's slightly different. You know, the grades are higher. They're, you know, 0.1%, maybe up to 0.5% on average, maybe, maybe some portions are up to 1%, which is 10,000 PPM. But most of the Athabasca stuff that you see is much higher. I know you've got um, Horseshoe and um, Raven, which is 0 0.2, 0.1%, but you know, that's right at surface. Um, <clears throat> what are the challenges of those super high grades or anything? And sorry, let's, let, let's ask them another way. Where, what, what grade are you going up? 0 0.3, 0 0.5, 0.7% U308. What, what, at what grade does it become a challenge to conventional mining that you have to do things very differently? Uh, there's two, just two angles. One is the grade and one is the geological setting and the geological setting is a huge, a huge component of that. So, uh, deposits that form at the unconformity itself, and if they happen to be strongly altered and a lot of, of brittle fracturing through the fault zone, uh, have water challenges. So it's not even as much the grade it could be the water challenges. We've seen that happen at both Cigar and MacArthur river. Uh, so that's one angle. The grade angle where things get more difficult probably starts to happen around the two and a half to four percent range, depending on structure where you have to be a little more cognizant of the radioactive issues, particularly radon uh, and exposure. So that brings you know slightly slightly more remote mining techniques, etc. Um, moving slurries instead. So the costs on operating costs per ton definitely go way up. Of course, there's a lot more pounds in there, so it sort of works out. But, you know, historically, you know, and, and I, would, I would argue that uh, Chris and I are, are both uh, friends of the Eagle Point mine, the, the chemical run. When that run, mines run optimally, it's really about what you can make on a per pound basis. And you balance those things off. Uh, MacArthur River and, and, Cigar and, and Rabbit Lake wouldn't be that far apart on a cost per pound basis. The high grade offsets the greater cost of doing the high grade material and, and the, the extra safety work that you, you need to do it. Um, <clears throat> And you mentioned kind of faulting and fracturing on that unconformity. Is 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 that a um, you know when you get the mineralization on the unconformity above the basin, uh, above the basement, um, at the bottom of the basin, is that a typically are those typically stratif stratiform um, bodies that are laterally extensive? How much how how poddy are they? How much structural control is on on them? Or once you're in it, do you know that you can just you've got a good run of delineating resources. Chris, I'll let you answer that one. Yeah, those, uh, the, uh, the unconformity pods are, are really the, the classic, uh, you know, the classic Athabasca prototype or, or type deposits, you know, and you'll get those at the, at the subcrop of the fault. And, um, and they can be laterally, you know, cross strike. You can see those for, you know, the, it's typically 30 to 50 meters in, a, in an economic deposit. Probably the outlier there would be Cigar Lake, which is closer to 50. 
uh, whereas a typical unconformity deposit would be about 30 meters across strike. And you see that at Phoenix. Um, and, you know, so and then you can start really, um, you know, for those unconformity deposits, you know, for them to be economic, you really want to trace them, um, you know, depending on grade, of course, every answer starts with an it depends. Um, but you really want to start seeing, you know, those unconformity deposits, you know, about 500 meters, sometimes more. Um, you know, if they're high enough grade, they can be somewhat less. And, and that really helps us, um, you know, with UEX, we, we, we do have a, a uh, you know, we, we, we do have a lot of experience looking in the basement and we are excited about uh, basement mineralization. And particularly when you get to deposits like, uh, like a MacArthur River in a zone two at MacArthur River, which was mined for about a decade. Um, you know, that the strike length of that deposit uh, being in the basement was, was only about 60 meters. So you can build a lot of pounds in a, in a very small place in those basement settings, which makes which starts to make them very attractive targets. Yeah, I think just go back to the Athabasca Basin is basically a big bath, uh, an old clawfoot type bathtub filled with sand and, that, and saturated sand. So anything you want to do above the, the base, the bottom of the bathtub uh, from a mining point of view is subject to all that water that could come through the sand. And so the cost to mine those tend to be higher. You take that same amount of uranium and put it into something that more resembles a label, uh, a load gold vein type deposit in the basement, in the cracks that are in that bathtub, uh, you have less exposure to potential water issues. And so they we're finding that those tend to be uh, easily as economic, particularly when you have uh, thicker sandstone cover. Okay, thank you. That's a really good analogy. Um, Chris, coming back to your, you said, you know, when depending on the faults, is that you're essentially saying that, let's say my hand is in the, in this, the, the, bottom, of the, ba- the, um, the bottom of the basin, and you're saying that there's always a single feed of fault or a, a dominant feed of fault through the basement, which in places the mineralization proximal to that fault. Yeah, yeah. Generally, every every deposit begins with a fault, and and yeah, much much like you much like you suggested, you have the you know if you have the bottom of the basin and the and the fault the fault that typically comes up to it, it's you know it's gonna you're gonna see it at MacArthur River, Cigar Lake, Christie Lake, um, you know that that's that's the fault's always the key, and um, it's typically the um, you know you see you see a lot of people talk about conductors when you hear when you hear about the. Athabasca Basin and exploration companies, you always hear about conductors. And what the conductor represents is, is uh, a um, uh, graphitic, graphitic rocks that when you, when there's, when you subject them to, a, to an EM survey, it, it, it forms a conductor. And, you know, being that they're graphitic, it's, it's a plane of weakness. So when you, you end up with those nice, nice long regional type, type features that can, you know, when you apply the regional strain, um, they, those, those rocks will break preferentially. And and bring the um, you know the reducing basement fluids, uh, or basically the basement fluids into into connection with the uh, the oxidized um, overlying sandstone fluids, which are hopefully uranium bearing, and um, you know and that that's when you start to see deposits. So those are the areas where you see the deposits start to to precipitate. We believe that the graphite forms a very efficient reductant that allows that uranium to be more efficiently removed from the hydrothermal solutions by probably the reason why you get the high grades in the Athabasca Basin. Okay, so um, we've got the kind of the physical and the chemical mechanisms for kind of precipitating uranium in a specific point. Let's bring it to your two projects that we're going to talk about, Christie Lake and um, Hidden Bay. And um, do you use seismic to pick up the structure underneath do you can you use mag to pick up the structure underneath what's your localizing um how do you kind of center in on a on a trend or a or a structure underneath whatever it is 200 meters of cover yeah 
magnetics and, uh, and airborne EM are, are very efficient methods for um, inferring uh, local geology or, or the, you know, or the metasedimentary corridor, if you will. Uh, yep. Corridor metasediments that uh, in the Athabasca Basin, typically the the uh, the base of the, the metasedimentary units on top of the Archean domes is typically where you see um, a uh, a nice uh, uh, unit of uh, pelite that is graphitic, and and so those will preferentially those will preferentially break, and then also the competency contrast between the the overlying pelites and the underlying Archean dome also forms a very efficient competency contrast in terms of help helping that uh, that structure. Uh, form permeability going down into the basement as well. So um, I, I hope that answers your question a little bit. And then it, was there another part that I'm, that I'm missing? There's a little bit of, some people have been using seismic uh, in certain areas. Uh, it's probably not the most efficient process. It's, it's doable. It's probably not the most efficient. It's been a lot of money and effort uh, put into it. And I think we're seeing seismic in the Athabasca basin, usually at a really advanced stage. And often helps with mine planning as well. We're seeing some of that as well, where you do seismic work to see where the unconformity tops or highs are. So you can sink if you have to sink a shaft. You it's show it's a shorter distance through the sandstone. But as an exploration tool, some people will swear by it, but it's a very, very small minority. For us on our Hidden Bay and Christie Lake projects, um, you know, Hidden Bay is a, is a is a pretty mature project in some ways and a very immature project in others. So it's, it's one of the oldest projects in the Athabasca Basin from an exploration point of view. And it was looked at exclusively in the past for classic unconformity cigar-like deposits, like Chris was talking about straddling that boundary. Um, so we know where the corridors are already from mag and, and actual drill holes. So for us, it's about saying, oh, no, no, we know that every one of these basement deposits uh, that form below the unconformity has smoke at the, un at the unconformity. And so we're, we're at Hidden Bay, we're focused about chasing the smoke down into the basement. Uh, and we have an extensive database of drill holes that allow us to do that very efficiently without having to do lots of geophysics. At Christie Lake, we have a little, we have a, we probably know where one trend is extremely well. We're still trying to figure out the others. So there's more EM and mag work done there in those, in those projects. Let's, can I just, for, for my simple brain, let's just, can I just focus on um, Hidden Bay for the moment? Sure. Um, otherwise I'll get, I'll get more confused than I, than I might um, otherwise be. Um, <clears throat> so, You've got a lot of drill hole data. Are you targeting um, a number of subvertical structures in the in the basement? Is that kind of the, the main exploration target? So it's high grade, potentially. Uh, you know, we all hope for big tons, but kind of most likely in the first pass, it's going to be a relatively constrained tonnage if it's structurally controlled. I think that's a really good synopsis. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the the basement structures and and you know the you know Roger and I both have experience at uh, at Eagle Point and. And I think the, you know, and also um, from from our time at Cameco, you know, we've seen you know deposits like Millennium as well, also a basement deposit. And it really, I, you know, I think really the discovery of uh, of Arrow in, in the Arrow deposit in 2014 um, really really helped kick a lot more people over into the idea that uh, that the basement deposits can um, can host a, lo a lot of tonnage and be and be re re really significant and. And I'm not going to say that we're going to go find an arrow at, at Hidden Bay, but man, that sure be nice. Yeah, yeah, like that. that you know, we, we do believe that there is the potential for that type of deposit there. So, and um, what do you see as a, I, I don't know, kind of a, a, a tonnage or a grade? Um, what do you say? Okay, now we've got an economic potential here. You know, what what are the metrics that you have in your head as as this is turning out to be 
Um, even even before PEAs, you know, just just to kind of thumb suck. What do you think is a kind of an economic starter? Does it have to be 50, 50 million pounds or two percent? Oh, maybe not necessarily two percent. Fifty million pounds is a pretty good start, especially in the East Athabasca Basin, and particularly on our Hidden Bay project where we have infrastructure we literally bound up on two world class mills. So the bar is a little bit uh, lower in terms of the economic threshold. Uh, could it be on, I would argue that, you know, one to 2% is a pretty good average grade for deposit in the basin. Um, but I think it depends on its geometry. It does really depend a lot on its geometry and it's how close to surface it is. And when I look at our Horseshoe Raven project, well, it's only 0.2%. It's right at surface, uh, no water issues, very simple mining technique. So it, it starts to, I think your guideline is about right, but then you have to look at each thing one off uh, against each other. And can you... Um, to kind of summarize what you're planning for 2022 at Hidden Bay and where you'd like to get to, um, you know, what would constitute success in your, in your mind if you're kind of six or nine months through next year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, the Hidden, Hidden Bay project for, for 2022, where we want to go follow up um, some, uh, some holes we drilled in 2021 at our, uh, at our, on our fixing grid. And that's a you know that's a uh, exciting target where there's a there's actually a, a glacial uh, train of, of uh, uranium bearing boulders down ice of that area. And when we started putting drill holes into that area in uh, in 2021, we uh, very start, quickly started to see um, hydrothermal alteration and structural characteristics that are very similar to uh, to Horseshoe and Raven. Uh, so that starts us to get. Gets to us, it starts to get us really excited about the potential of that area in, in building, um, you know, building resources in that in that area. Um, the uh, other the other area where we want to work at uh, Hidden Bay is uh, we call that the the Dwyer Grid, and uh, it's a little bit farther to the south. And uh, UEX did some work there in uh, in 2015, and we'd like to uh, to go and and follow up on some of that work as well as uh, follow up with some of our target generation and, and evaluation of the old drill core. Has, uh, has determined that there's um, exploration potential in that area that we believe is, hasn't been followed up by the by the first pass drilling done in the 70s and 80s. The success would look like the first mineralized intersection on a new discovery on those two next year, or one of those two next year. And um, I, I, I suffer in, in, my, in my day job from being asked, when are you going to define a resource? You know, uh, you know a resource can can take a while to come together. Um, but you talk, um, Roger, you just mentioned the word, uh, you know, discovery drill hole. Um, do you, what, what looks like a discovery? I mean, because if, if, I, if I get Chris alone, I bet he would say, oh, would be, as long as we get the hydrothermal stuff and we got some sniffs of mineralization and we get some, some good grades coming through, he would say, look, this is enough to motivate the next uh, campaign of exploration. Um, what, what, what would you classify as a discovery hole? I'm going to let Chris answer that question because I think we're going to have a really <laughs> Honestly, that's a very simple answer. Yeah, you know, you know, last year we, we did, uh, you know, you know, particularly at Vixen, we did a, a first pass series of drill holes and we, we did have that, that, that hydrothermal alteration. We did have that system. And so, um, you know, that it, it satisfied that, that first pass prospectivity evaluation. And uh, so this year, you know, we want to target some more resources. We want to use more resources to uh, to evaluate that. And you know, so that's what success looks like for um, for that fixing grid the, um, in that uranium nickel sands target area. And and really, success is a mineralized hole. And and we have our, our template very um, very close to that area is is Raven and Horseshoe. 
you know, in a Raven or Horseshoe, we can see mineralized intersections that are, you know, 10 to 20 meters wide in some cases. And like you said, that, you know, that 0.1 to, to 0.2 grades. So, you know, that that's sort of what, you know, the the lens with which we view what success looks like at uh, in that area and, and, and why we're excited about it, because it is less than two kilometers away from from an area where we do have those defined resources. Okay. Okay. Um, great. Thank you. That, that really helps me put things in context. Um, moving over to Christy Lake. Um, you've got three kind of pods or pearls on a string, I think was the phrase you used in one of your videos, Roger. Um, <clears throat> what's, what's next? Are you trying to expand one of those pearls or are you looking for the next pearl? Uh, I think Chris will I'll let Chris expand upon it a little bit more. I think, I think uh, just putting sort of setting the table for Chris was more of a, uh, it's really weird. We've had the project for about five and a half years now. And we did build a five-year plan before we did drill our first drill hole there. And our thoughts were very much along the lines of what we're thinking along the, there's three, there's one big corridor and there's three perspective trends in that corridor. And then there's another corridor to the South uh, that hasn't seen a drill hole in historically. And our plan when year one was to grow the deposit uh, at Paul Bay, uh, which was the known deposit there at the time. And we did do that, but we learned something and, and we thought there was no unconformity potential along that trend for classic Cigar Lake style unconformity deposit. And we very quickly learned in year one that that was not true. And that uh, even with our due diligence review, uh, what the core told us uh, when we drilled holes, which we couldn't access because it had been burnt to the ground back in the past, uh, said, oh no, there's a lot of unconformity potential here. And we focused the last few years on exploring that potential. Uh, so now we're actually gonna go back to year two of our original plan, which is looking along that trend for basement hosted deposits and then start to focus our efforts on the other two sub-trends that are within that corridor going back towards the MacArthur River mine. But Chris, you might want to talk a little more of the detail of what we're trying to focus on. Sorry, Chris, before you, before you jump in, and um, Roger, is that because the unconformity exploration was difficult? No, no, just because it was an untested. It's always the easiest thing to, to explore for. I mean, uh, while we're big advocates of basement deposits, I don't think even the most ardent basement uh, advocate like Chris and I will be, uh, would ever say, give up on the unconformity potential first. You'd always test that first. And so that's why we deviated the program in year two to, to test that. And it was successful. We did find a smaller deposit at Aurora on that unconformity trend. And we were continuing to focus on that through to next year. We would have done it faster in, in more robust uranium times. We did, we did it very calculated and slow because we were very conscious about size of exploration budgets over the last four years. Great. Thank you. And Chris, yeah, onto the basement. Sorry for the yeah. interruption. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, the, that work over the, over the, you know, from 20, uh, 2016 through to 2021 um, has, has layered on a, um, a lot of additional uh, data uh, regarding the, the geology, but particularly the structure and alteration, um, not only of the, um, of the deposits at Paul Bay, Ken Penn and Aurora, um, but also given us a lot of insights into the, uh, the structural controls along the trend. And, you know, and then I think um, ra rather than, than, than going in and testing um, system, systematically um, along, along the basement, that the, the information that we've gathered is going to allow us to be um, very precise with our targets and what we want to drill. Um, you know, we, the, the technical team here and I have been working on um, a plan for, for Christie Lake for, for quite some time. And, and we're really excited to put this into action because we, um, you know, one of the, one of the first things we did when we, when we, when we picked up Christie Lake and started drilling holes is we, 
we didn't get a geology map from the previous operator. So we, we put together, a, you know, a geology map and, and uh, you know, and we continue to refine that geology map along with the structure and the structural controls of these deposits. We refine that with every drill hole we, um, we put into it. And we're starting to see a lot of, a lot of uh, similarities between the deposits and some of the areas where there's uh, sporadic basement mineralization that hasn't been followed up. And, and that really helps us with, uh, with where we want to vector uh, work in 2022. It's not like we're blindly testing. It's, it's Chris, Chris and this team's got a model saying, here's the structural controls. Here's a spot of mineralization in the basement. We tested the unconformity. Now we got to go down, down plunge. We're not even just down dip, but down plunge of intersecting street features. Um, down plunge of intersecting structure or intersecting structure with the unconformity. Yeah, so the the way that I would the way that I say that Merlin is is if you if you take your fault again, and and really it's the idea of a of a of a structure coming across uh, that that controlling structure and forming that lineation that plunges down into the basement, and not only do you, so in those instances the obviously that 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 uh, lineation line is is your you know your primary target, but quite often we see uh, we see mineralization in in both. It's possible to see mineralization in both planes, both up and down that that. Uh, crossing structure and also along the the you know the main uh, graphitic fault as well. So um, you know th those are both targets in that scenario for us. And I think that uh, that every high grade deposit in the Athabasca Basin, be it at the unconformity or be it in the basement, occurs where interest where the main trend is is offset or intersected, not necessarily offset by subsidiary structures in a in a classic Riddell pattern. Uh, yeah, our Hidden Bay project, our, our sorry, our Shade Creek project is a very good example of that. Okay, good. Um, <clears throat> and you've mentioned building a kind of a geological map of the of the subsurface and and using the drill holes. Um, presumably, you're overlaying the mag on that as well. Um, and you've you've mapped out the main kind of stress orientations in that part of the basin. So you've you've got a handle on where those the the, the subordinate shears and the the reedle patterns come. So you you. You're using that combined data set to target new resources there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've also got a very good resistivity data set for that, that project as well, too. So, you know, it, it, we, we layer every piece of information we have to help us with that interpretation so that, um, so that the money is, is spent as, as best as possible, really, is, is, the, is how we think of it. Okay. Um, and uh, what, what are the, can you just describe to me the timings on that? You know, when, when are you going to get started? Are you, are you able to work through the winter or is it a, a spring summer program? Uh, we, we can work at in the, in the winter at Christie Lake and, um, and because of the, um, the, the, um, the majority of the drill targets, particularly along that, that ball bay to Aurora trend, um, in the bay are, are, are reachable from land as well too. So. Um, we uh, we can work in both uh, both the, the winter and summer early fall seasons. So we, we have about a um, in the winter there's about a hundred day window give give or take, and then you have about 120 days window in the in the summer in order to uh, to get at these areas. So are you going to be active in this hundred day winter window? We hope to be yes. Hope to be. No, we will be. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> I, and, I didn't want to be the point of disclosure there, so thanks, Roger. <laughs> um, and have you have you announced how much drilling you're going to do? I mean, is that public information or um... not yet? It's 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 imminent news for us to put out here. I was hoping we'd have that out uh, earlier than we have, but uh, we're we haven't done that. We've just been through our budgeting process with our board, so okay. 
And okay, well, I, I won't go into that'll all come out in the wash. Um, can you give me kind of rough, rough guidelines of the um, the spend that you're going to be doing next year? Um, how much of it is kind of going into these kinds of field programs? Um, Hidden Bay, Christie Lake, is it 50% of your kind of field budget or 70%? Uh, but 100, almost 100. Okay, so th- this this is where it's at. This is it's it's Hidden Bay and it's Christie Lake. Yeah, and unless our friends at Arano uh, miraculously come around to our point of view uh, that we did a dire need of working at Shea Creek, uh, and we while we while we press upon them that uh, multiple times a week, uh, it's really they're the operator and they have control of the project right now, and so. We, we're influencing them best we can because we think that's as much as we like Christie and we like Hidden Bay. Uh, that's that's for us the number one target in the Athabasca Basin, whether it's our own project or anybody else's. Actually, yeah, I mean, I just looking at the numbers. I mean, it's it's stunning. You would have got sixty seven, sixty eight million pounds in indicated and twenty eight million pounds in um, um, inferred, and at, you know, grades above a percent, well, one percent in the inferred and one and a one point four in the um, in the indicated, it's 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 smashing, and um, by according to you, uh, it's got growth potential. Yeah. Once, once again, talking about Chris's and his intersecting fault structures, Chris's team spent a lot of time going through every scrap of information we had, reviewing drill core, and the strangest part for us, and the part that's really hard to to understand, uh, our partners' reluctance would be fifty percent of the pounds that we see at Shea Creek are hosted in the Canada deposit, 90% of the Canada deposits in the basement below the unconformity, along, actually drawn out along that cross-cutting fault structure. And so Chris's team has identified that those same fault structures, uh, I'll, I'll be generous, or I'll be conservative to say only 10 times, 10 higher priority targets and multiple others. Um, where that structure, where other structures like that are known to exist to hit the main trend. And at the unconformity, it's mineralized. And They've been trying to hit it historically. They've been trying to drill those holes uh, with vertical drill holes into a sub-vertical body. And you can imagine how hard that is to hit. Uh, and they actually have to drill with a north-south component to, on an angle. And But every once in a while when they do hit it, Chris and his team have found mineralization or alteration in the structure. And so it's not a question of whether or not is there a mineralized structure there. The question is, is there enough in that mineralized structure to be economic? And... We just believe that we can grow that deposit by getting a very focused and fairly cost-effective program. It's not we're not talking hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. You're talking, you know, each target doesn't cost a lot to test. How deep are they? I mean, if you're doing an angled hole, what kind of length hole are you talking about? Uh, the the depth of the unconformity at Shea Creek is uh, give or take about 700 meters. Uh, so if you want to start testing those, those uh, targets into the basement, you could be looking at drill holes. Uh, up to uh, 900 meters at, at the bottom of the Kiana deposit in order to test those uh, those cross-cutting structures. But you know the, the thing is is that the you know if the mineralization's there and, and it's in the basement, it's it's uh, you know it, it, that's that's not that technically challenge in order in order to get to uh, the you know the uh, the operator has used uh, directional drilling there for for a number of years in order to, to test accurately test the targets and you know it's, so it wouldn't be a, a new technology or a stretch to believe that. You know, for you know, for a program on the scale of about ten million dollars, we could test, um, you know, you know, ten or so of those uh, high priority targets that we've developed at Shea Creek. Um, yeah, I, the the geologist in me gets excited about uh, 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 lots of untested targets and high potential. Uh, the realist in me says that we have to wait to see what Arano um, says. Um, 
Uh, Roger, Chris, thank you so much. Um, uh, you've taken me on in a huge education learning curve about the Athabasca Basin. Apologies for asking dumb questions and apologies yeah. to any viewers who, who have had to repeat their education because of my ignorance. Um, any parting thoughts? What, what have, I, I know we haven't spoken about the rest of the portfolio, but um, do you want to put some of that into context, Roger? Um, you know, just kind of give a bit of polish to my rude questions. No, no, fair enough. Uh, the beautiful part about our portfolio and our advanced development projects is that for the, the ones that we don't control, which is, you know, right now our Horseshoe Raven is the only one we control 100% of, uh, and it's probably not ready to go tomorrow uh, towards development. But the ones like Wader River and then the following that will probably be Millennium. We don't have to operate those projects. so We can focus on the growth part of our business. And the growth part of the business for investors on new discovery, that's new discovery, uh, is where the value is generated, regardless of the time of the uranium cycle, up, down, or otherwise. And the type of targets that we talked to you about today, and this isn't us owning a hunk of moose pasture and saying, hey, we think there could be something here. Uh, we just stake this ground and, 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 and we hope there's stuff here. We're down to sort of the, the what you do in a Brownfields mindset exploration program, even at Hidden Bay, where you're going, we really like, we know there's something in this area. What, the question is how much? And it's about prosecuting lower risk exploration because we're basically doing Brownfields type exploration work across all of our projects. Great. Thank you. That's, that's a useful um summary i've got two more questions i'm afraid one is um at what price do you kind of kick start the pea on, on horseshoe and raven are you waiting for the expiration for on hidden bay or are you going to go ahead with kind of uh, pushing the button on a pea for uh horseshoe raven i think we'd like to see it go up a couple more bucks first uh, but we're really, really our PEA that we had on there that we had to retire uh, last month in November because of its age it was ten years old. Uh, had a, had a and I can be very careful about how I refer to it. That that uh, that this retired historical document now it told us that the current price is really close to where the break even would be, and so it doesn't take a lot more oomph to get there. We, I think we need to see that we're going to be in a spot where there's a comfortable return on investment before we really jump, and it's not far away. Good. And then the other question was, um, can you give us a figure on kind of budget in terms of what you're going to be spending or is that going to come out in the news release? That's going to come out in the news release. I think what we've been signaling to the market is that we expect our expiration tempo to be up substantially from where we are uh, this year. Last year was probably the, the quietest year ever in the Athabasca Basin in the last 20. Uh, and this could be one of the busier years for the industry in general. Uh, this is how quickly things have turned. And I think we're our investors are telling us they want to see us do more work. And I can understand why, because we had a pretty quiet year last year in terms of exploration results because of the volume of work that was done. So significantly higher. That's all I'll tell you right now. Okay, good. Um, well, thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to having another update, perhaps when, once, Chris, you've put some drill holes in and uh, found some cracking mineralization for us to talk about. I sure hope to have that conversation. Roger, Chris, thank you very much. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Marilyn. Marilyn.